Hello and welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Wal Hattar, and in this episode, we're talking about cinema and retrospective and programming and everything to do with Cinematech Beirut as well as Metropolis Cinema. And with me is Nisreen Mohibi, who is a programmer at Metropolis. Hi, Wal. As well as uh, Noor Waida, who's a project coordinator at Cinematech Beirut. So for everyone listening, Cinematech Beirut is something that had just started up two years ago but launched recently um, via Metropolis Cinema. Metropolis is an independent art house cinema that is uh, in Lebanon and the one always playing kind of different things for us. And, and, and Cinematech, Cinematech Beirut uh, developed from them, which is basically um, a, a large database that they're working on, similar to IMDb, but we'll go into the details of that later, but also working on retrospectives of a Lebanese film and and from what I understand, in the future, more of the Arab world and, and cinema as well. So we'll start off with a, a quick intro from both of them about the simple idea of their organization and what they do in it. So uh, Metropolis uh, started 13 years ago, um, and we're going to soon celebrate our 15th anniversary. Uh, Metropolis started uh, in a small venue in uh, Al Hamra, uh, you know, now Metro Medina. Uh, this was the venue initially. Uh, it was one theater, and this is where um, Hania, the founder, started the, the program uh, of Metropolis because uh, the city lacked diversity in the films uh, that are being screened. Uh, you had no space for uh, Lebanese films independently made. Uh, so it was time to start this place. And then uh, uh, after two years, in 2008, Metropolis moved to its current venue, which is... Uh, in the Sophil Center. So now we're called Metropolis Empire Sophil, uh, and we are in charge of programming the two theaters at the uh, Sophil Center. But other than uh, the, the cinema, our association is really active on a lot of uh, projects at the same time. Um, for a quick uh, interest with people who are not, sh- not aware of Lebanon, Hamra is a street in, in Beirut, as well as uh, the current place in Metropolis is in uh, section Ashraf- in Ashrafia, also in Beirut, but like about 15 minutes drive from Hamra. Uh, as Nasreen was saying, uh, programming is one of the many activities of Metropolis. It is at the forefront uh, of its uh, activities. So it's generally how people recognize it's the stamp of Metropolis. It's that they... Metropolis shows uh, independent films. Um, other than that, uh, Metropolis has also has a very active uh, young audience program, uh, working uh, with uh, children from public schools, refugee camps, uh, but also uh, in collaboration with uh, French schools in the country. So really trying to reach as many uh, uh, young audience uh, as possible uh, to try to spark their curiosity about different kinds of films that they could see uh, in the cinemas in the cineplexes. Uh, another uh, important activity that uh, Metropolis does is the film, its involvement in film industry with uh, program trainings like Talent Beirut. And this is, uh, we're coming up on our fifth edition in uh, September. This is in collaboration with the Goethe Institute and uh, Berlinale Talents, um, where around 15 to 20 uh, young professionals are invited uh, to Beirut to take part in workshops and master classes. Uh, for uh, four or five days. Uh, a similar program for distributors and producers was launched also last uh, March called Beirut Locarno Industry Academy. Um, and so Metropolis is very keen on uh, also uh, 
not, also, not only appealing to cinephiles but also professionals uh, from the film industry because uh, in the end Lebanon is a very small country and generally uh, all these audiences overlap um, and so uh, <laughs> definitely they may be all the same one person <laughs> Uh, and uh, so the, the Cinematheque Beirut project, um, I kind of, uh, uh, as I was telling you a little bit earlier before we started, that I kind of came into this um, um, not even midway, but towards the end. And uh, it, so it's a project that was led uh, by my colleagues a lot more than me. Uh, and uh, I am very proud of the work that they did, that we did. I'm very happy to be talking on their behalf. And so Cinematheque Beirut is a I think it's a project that started a very, very long time ago uh, that has always been in, uh, in the back of the minds of uh, Hania and all the other board members of Metropolis because uh, I think it's also a natural continuation from Metropolis to venture into uh, a project like Cinematheque Beirut. So, uh, but it has been practically really... Uh, been developing for the last two, two and a half years maybe, uh, since we got uh, the funding from uh, the Norwegian embassy. And uh, the, the, I have to say that the team is, is really small. It, it uh, mainly comprised of Marie Termignon <laughs> uh, that, had been, that had been working for the last year on it. Uh, and Hanya uh, Mrouwe, Antoine Khalife, Joanna Hadjituma, and George Sher that were the artistic board uh, of the project. Um, but yeah, just to say that there's a big mix in between the, the Metropolis team and the Cinematech team is that at some point, and this is due to, to funding, of course, um, these two uh, mix a lot and the same person can, um, uh, can do many trades at the same time. And I think this is one of the, also the strong points of, of this project is that you have people that have different experiences and experiences with the MC distribution and the Metropolis project that are coming into uh, the cinematic project. It's interesting that you, you've mentioned uh, budgeting and, and, and funding a lot, and, and, and that was one of the things we want to talk about, especially that it's European mostly, that the funding, the funding you guys get um, versus the Arab world or even Lebanon. Uh, but before we get into that one, uh, talk about your audiences, which you had mentioned. Is it uh, like, like an older crowd, or, or is it like a, a mixture or, or even as, as Noor had mentioned earlier, you, you, you try to get these kind of younger audiences to come in. Would they be interested in retrospectives? What is your, I guess, background research on the past few years um, from both ends of the retrospective uh, system you, got, you guys want to present via Cinematech Beirut or in Metropolis and all the other work that you've done, versus new versus old? Uh, it's, uh, it's quite surprising sometimes because uh, uh, there are festival, there are events where you have the regular faces. You know those people from they come in to all of your events, and then there are specific events where they we are able to attract a new audience every time because we try out new let's say methods of promoting those events, and uh, there are events like let's say we host where we see people we've never seen at Metropolis from like a certain uh, age category, let's say it's an art film festival we're hosting, a certain, let's say, uh, uh, age category attends, and we like that. I mean, and then they're like, you've been here for 10 years, we had no idea. It makes <laughs> us sad, but at the same time, we're happy because oh, 
now we're, they know us and they're going to come back. And how, how do they get the information? Is it like, have you changed, do, you, do you change marketing? Is it different use of social media? Is, is it just because خلاص, you're, you've been there for 15, 12, 12 15 years, eventually they're going to find out? Uh, what's really nice about the location right now in Ashrafi is that all of the neighborhood, uh, we're like family, you know. Uh, they call in, uh, do you still have a ticket? I'm coming in five minutes. Uh, is there a reception? Uh, at what time? Uh, it's nice to build familiar relationships with, uh, with your audience. One of the things that uh, actually uh, suddenly uh, brings new audience is also uh, partnerships with, with new, like new partnerships with a different kind of uh, either cultural center or embassy. Like, for example, we were talking yesterday about the Russian um, film week. Uh, maybe yes. you can talk a bit more about that. Yes, for example, uh, the Russian Film Festival, it, it happened for one edition like two years ago. There's a, a, an impressive Russian community. Uh, they were like, every night it was a full house. It was a free festival, a full house. Uh, the entire Russian community would come in and like, uh, that's impressive. We were really surprised. Uh, uh, the number of people who are Russian in the country or the number of... Uh, in Russian films, yeah. you know, we never expected this. Uh, there's also, for example, uh, Randa Shahar retrospective. Uh, we were and that was one of the ones via... That was the first one from Cinematech. Yes, that's right. Uh, we were uh, really happy with the outcome because we thought... I mean, we had the, the young... Uh, the young audience, it was really hard for them to even find copies to watch those films. So it was their first screening in Beirut in a public place. So that gave them the incentive to come and attend. And there were also the people who have known Renda, let's say, uh, the collaborators who worked with her, all of her uh, crew and cast. Uh, and her family, her family as well. Uh, and um, there's a very important factor that, I mean, we've been noticing, uh, the importance of subtitles. You know, uh, the family of Renda Shahal and especially uh, Noor Sabah, she worked, she had a, a tremendous work on uh, digitizing all of the films mm -hmm. and adding subtitles, whether Arabic, French, and English. So this helped also increase the audience because there's also uh, an important, uh, important uh, foreigners uh, here in Beirut, so and interested in discovering Lebanese cinema. Mm -hmm. So that helped out a lot. We once. Okay. Yeah, actually, just a quick interruption. This was something Hind and I always had a problem with because a lot of times they bring smaller Arabic films into the Emirates, like rarely. But when they do, uh, we have a lot of uh, kind of cinephile friends who are interested, in, but they're like, "Oh, this has no translation into English." And then when we ask some of the cinemas, they're like, "Oh, the, the audience doesn't doesn't care." I'm like, if you don't make it available for the audience, of course the audience wouldn't care. So I'm glad this is an important point for you guys when it comes to the retrospectives and, and the database and everything else when, when you present the films to all of your audiences. Because even sometimes people don't understand that if, when you have an Arabic translation, not everyone understands all the accents. The Arab world is huge, so someone uh, with an within within Egyptian uh, kind of uh, and an accent or understanding wouldn't necessarily easily uh, get a Saudi person versus a Syrian versus a Yemeni versus a, uh, a Moroccan. So even Arabic to Arabic translation written down is, is, is quite uh, important. Yeah, and here I, I remember a very, um, actually it's sad, maybe I shouldn't say about this event, but we once did a, an Arab cinema classics cycle in partnership with uh, the Sphere Zemmler Gallery, if I'm not mistaken, yes. 
And there were, you know, like very important classic uh, films from the Arab world. And the problem with the movie is that they were not subtitled. So at, at one night, I remember I was the only person, uh, I was another spectator uh, attending. And it was really, really, to be honest, sad because the films are marvelous. And to have them digitized and be able to watch them uh, in this way, uh, yeah, so the, this is the importance of the subtitles. Like at the same time, for example, you see in, in European countries, okay, like you go uh, to Amsterdam, you see that I, I had a friend that was living there for two years. He doesn't understand the language. And for example, there was the problem where there's only one cinema that would show film, films that were subtitled into English or another language. The thing is, is that this is maybe like very common outside, like, or I used to live in Montreal, it's very common to uh, have films only in French or subtitled only to French, same thing in France, like, okay, no, it's, we're not going to subtitle it to English or, you know, because this is not the language people speak, but I think here it's like such a different, it's, the, the fabric is so different, the complexity is different, because we were even talking, I remember when um, planning the Randa Shahal uh, and talking to Noor about uh, what kind of subtitles we would want, and uh, then like, one of the issues we were discussing a lot, and the point that Nasreen brought forward, is that even younger audiences that understand Arabic prefer to have, for example, let's say they don't speak French, if this, the film is French-speaking, instead of having subtitles in Arabic, they prefer to have them in English. You know, so it's also the trying to, to listen to these things and see what is happening, what people actually prefer, not being too stubborn, of course, uh, <laughs> because, uh, and, and at the same time, trying also to, to preserve something where when a film is actually in Arabic, to give it importance that it is Arabic speaking, to, to stress on that. Uh, well, of course, subtitling it for uh, people that do not understand. And I think with, with the Cinematheque Beirut, it's, uh, this touches a lot on who, who is the target of this, of this project? Like, of course, people that are living in Lebanon, because in the end, all the programming and all of that, people that are going to attend it are people that are here, right? But the big component is the, the online presence. And earlier you were saying that, uh, yes, this project is an online presence, but this is, like, uh, let's say, a phase one of the project. Okay. The, the ideal and the idea is, in the long run, to have a... a, a a venue, you know, to, to, to be able to link Cinematheque Beirut also to uh, a place, a place that not only shows films, but hopefully maybe someday would be able to uh, collect them and preserve them, uh, restore them, I'm not sure, because that's a whole other ideal. Uh, and a whole other budget. Definitely. <laughs> but just to have uh, rooms uh, with, like, uh, that are equipped to be able to, to preserve them. Um, and so... Uh, other than the, f the physical presence, this online presence is, is of course a first step, but it's also a way to, to reach audiences that are outside of Lebanon. If it was Lebanese people that are abroad, uh, or uh, actually people that are just interested in Lebanese cinema. And this for me is like the big thing is, is throughout all my travels, uh, uh, especially being a film student for a while, you always get into things where people where you're talking to them about all these films that you you know. Uh, uh, you can't show them any proof or any. Yeah. No, so it's like, do these films ever exist? Have they ever been shown? Have they? And so, even if someone want, is writing a paper on on Lebanese cinema, mm -hmm. they, they don't have like where where do I go to to, to even 
uh, be able to authenticate a date. You know, it's like you have to go to a paper that someone else has yeah. written, and his information comes from like an oral thing that the filmmaker told them themselves. You know, so. Yeah, and actually, recently, for the past not recently, for the past five years, uh, and I were talking about how I think Rotana had bought all of the Egyptian films and then moved them to somewhere else, somewhere else, and. God knows what's happening to them now in state in, in the sense of presentation because if a film is not mainstream enough they want better not even show it on their screens and then it dies and those are usually the art households and like I said we don't know how they're being preserved if they're being preserved at all and then you, an article came out last year about the Sudanese archive somebody's trying to collect that and then you have things happening in and around the Arab world um, but then the only time it's ever interested or there's budget is when somebody foreign or somebody from the Far East comes and supports. And we, we don't really understand, which we, and we definitely want to uh, get into that. But before we do, I just want to, 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 to take your point about the, the collection and the, and the fixing. How do you guys get that information? So what, you sent a mailer, hello, do you have an old film? Please give it to us and we'll keep it for you. This is a very good question because it is really hard. <laughs> I, I can... Only like I personally again just got into this project, so I, I kind of uh, uh, got handed all the work that Marie did, and she did a tremendous, an amazing job. You know, it's it's like if you just look at the folders that she gave me, it's it's basically to the point where it's just screenshots whenever she sees a Lebanese film mentioned somewhere. You know, she's just like, if I don't screenshot it right now, this could disappear for yeah. You know, it's like, it's like this, someone just mentioned, oh, we just finished working on this film, you know, you, you just like, you know, screenshot it, put it in a folder of screenshot and get back to that later, you know, but now I know I have it. So it's as random as things you read in... in yeah, be like a detective. Exactly, exactly. And, and so as random as things that you read in catalogs, you have to like go through... There are books that are written about Haida. There are scholars that are interested, but there are not many. And generally, the people that write these books are filmmakers themselves, like Mohamed Swed, for example, or Hadi Zakat, uh, that have been in contact with the films that, they've ta that they're talking about. So either they have seen them in cinemas uh, earlier on in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, or they, they know the filmmakers so they can have access to the information in that way. But there's very few uh, uh, documentation that can arrive to you in third, fourth, fifth degree, you know? So it have to be first degree, second degree, if you're lucky. Um, so generally, the, the, the work is, is really just, as you said, detective work, just like uh, in French they say tatone, you just like go around in the dark and whatever you can grab, and then you start to... Uh, try to cross-reference, so that kind of helps. Like, okay, if you have a certain name of a film, uh, you know it's made that year, you're not sure what director. You start looking in books, you start looking in uh, old magazines. You start, so. And this is for kind of the database information, but when you do your retrospective stuff, you don't necessarily have to own anything, right? Mm -hmm. You can just borrow from the filmmakers and, and or... Yeah, screening fees generally from the distributor or the producer. or uh, But it also comes about... I guess it depends on if, you're, if the retrospective is focusing on like one filmmaker. In that case, the idea is to go full on and try to find everything that person has made. And if they're still alive, you, they're the, the source, I guess. Uh, but in the case of um, if you want to set up more like programs, I think maybe Nasreen can talk a bit more about like the two programs that were set up in 2015. Uh, I think 15 and I think 2013. The uh, 
أجمل أيام حياتي Yeah, I remember I worked on the Alika Athani. So the focus was on uh, films produced by Lebanese producers all around the world. So uh, there was Asya Dagher, the pioneer from who worked in Egypt. Uh, there was like Gabriel Bustani, who worked in Europe. Uh, Rita Dagher, who, uh, who's a young producer who's still uh, working really actively uh, in France. Uh, we had uh, Hiyam Yunus. Uh, the opening was with a film by Asya Dagher, produced by Asya. The main star was Hiyam Yunus, who were, she was called Atufla uh, Al-Mu'ajiza, because she was so young. miracle child. Yeah, and she is adorable, uh, really adorable. We invited her, to, and she invited all of her family and friends uh, who never, probably never saw the film. And so uh, it was a really uh, touching moment. Uh, this one for us was... From the 50s or maybe earlier? So are they old, like, all, all of them are really old. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a production retrospective in a sense? Yes, and to be able to get the copies, uh, here we relied on uh, our really good friend and one of our artistic uh, advisors, uh, Antoine Khalife. Uh, the films, uh, it was really tough to get them, to even get screeners, but we managed. And um, again, there was the, the subtitles issue. Uh, it was only in Arabic, so there was a lot of foreigners who wanted to watch the film. Some of them ventured into watching them, even without really getting them. But they, they, get, get, they get a Lebanese friend next to them and like, explain what happened. Yeah, but it's okay because um, it was a really, I mean, I loved this event. Uh, we showed the films uh, like... Uh, uh, Maurice Piala did a film produced by Gabriel Bustani, called Nous ne veillerions pas ensemble, we have managed to get the restored DCP copy from uh, Gaumont in France. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's interesting to uh, research the copies, what's available, uh, what can you get. Uh, we had 35 millimeter prints shipped from France via uh, the French uh, diplomatic. Wow, uh, yes, uh, thank you, Institut Français, because it's important also to uh, screen films in decent uh, yes, copies. Definitely. So when you have the budget and are, is, are able to get the 35 millimeter print shipped to Beirut, you just get it. Uh, when you have the DCP restored, of course you get it. Uh, sometimes it's impossible to get these copies, so okay, you get the, a DVD, but really, you really can't do anything uh, about it because the film is so old and that's the only way to show it. Actually, this is it's a great segue because um, I know Hind's always been very interested in uh, restoration of, of older films and going to retrospectives, which is why she goes to the, the cinema retrovato in, in, in Bologna, which, which, which I think is the second time or third time she's been. So for, for us, and, and this is, we had touched upon it earlier on about the funding as well as the support, you know, we know that um, there are so many, so many institutions um, that are interested in, in, in restoration and do in the West as well as the Far East, so it's not, but not our region. And our region is pretty big not to have kind of like a proper interest versus some random uh, separate human beings like you guys and some other organizations. Do you have any inkling since you've been in, the, in this industry for a while? Why isn't there any interest from maybe governmental things or larger funders from the Arab world? Uh, so uh, Marie was researching, but for the Cinematheque uh, Beirut project, she saw, uh, went, ventured into trying to retrace the institutional history of, of a Cinematheque in Lebanon. 
It is very important to say that Metropolis isn't the first person, the first uh, association, not a person. Thank you, because everyone you always see always as the first, the biggest. Thank you for saying that you're yeah. not. Not. We definitely are not the first to uh, start a cinematic initiative. Yes. And so uh, when, uh, when, when researching, uh, when trying to put together this project, it seemed extremely important uh, to, to Marie to try to understand how, especially that she's not from here, so it's also a double uh, thing. So how, how did these interests uh, come about uh, in Lebanon and in the region? Uh, where, where did it spring from? Uh, and you can see that actually, so if we can almost, I'm not a historian, but I, from what the research that we've done and from the little that I know, we can trace back some kind of beginnings of, of cinema, uh, presence, let's say, in in the region to the early 1900s, and um, the the first Lebanese film is considered to be uh, uh, made by an Italian, Giordano Pizzuti, called The Adventures of Elias Mubarak. Uh, I think 1929, and very quickly after that. Uh, there was a lot of production houses that came by, so there was a lot of interest in producing and. Uh, at the same time, this was happening, this was developing also in Egypt, okay. um, creating a lot of uh, co-productions and a lot of uh, actually Egyptian producers came to shoot their films in Lebanon because it was cheaper and generally easier. And um, so uh, we can really see how there was a lot of activity uh, uh, regarding production. And in Lebanon, very quickly in well, not that quickly, I guess 20 years, 30 years after, in the 50s, there was the first cine club like, that started, uh, Nadi Beirut Cinema. Uh, this was uh, led by Maurice Ael and uh, people like uh, Alain Plisson and um, Walid Schmidt. And, uh, so it was just a bunch of people that thought it was very important to bring uh, indie films um, that were being uh, auteur films that were being produced a bit around Europe and uh, all over the world generally uh, to Beirut and this initiative uh, had a project uh, which was to also uh, start to collect uh, films that were uh, made uh, in Lebanon uh, uh, earlier so these films of Giordano Pizzuti and etc etc uh, so from the early days of film production like 20s let's say and um, so this was one of the first manifestations of people that were interested in figuring out what was made, retracing it, trying to preserve it, noticing that a lot of the stuff has already been lost. We're already we're in the 50s, so it's not that long yeah. after, but you're already having things that are lost, that are intraceable. That, because I think it's also... I think preserving and restoring is, is also a way of thinking. It's being able to understand that these things are important mm -hmm. for future generations. Generally, in cinema, this is not just applicable in Lebanon, this took a while. Yeah. It took a while. It wasn't until, I think, the 60s that we started seeing, or the 50s, seeing real uh, efforts uh, on, on a wider scale internationally to preserve and to be like, oh, okay, there's a lot of this stuff, especially having to do with the material that film was made on, like early films were made on nitrate. Nitrate is highly inflammable, uh, uh, very quickly degradable. So 
noticing that a lot of the films are disappearing and oh, okay there's a certain kind of urgency of course after the world wars also another kind of urgency of a lot of stuff disappearing so we can say it was around the 50s 60s that these uh, initiatives started so Lebanon wasn't that far ahead in, in, at that point, you know, and uh, for people starting to think about, especially that there weren't like a million productions either, so it was doable to, to some extent. And uh, so these guys, the, the, the guys of the Nadi, uh, the Beirut Cine Club, uh, the Nadi Beirut Cinema, started this uh, initiative. And we could see that in the 60s up until the 70s, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of initiatives towards uh, building some kind of national film library, okay. you know, and uh, in the 1960s, there was the creation of the National uh, Film Center and the new Ministry of Information and the official opening of the, the Studio Balbak. So these were really the, the first uh, uh, measures where there's some kind of institutionalization of production. So with Studio Balbak, Studio Balbak is an example of many other studios, but it was just on a bigger scale. And um, also the, the institutionalization of a the idea of a film center, so that film could be a, a tool, uh, uh, something that we'd want to preserve, collect, etc. And the, the, there was a lot of, also in the 60s, a lot of roundtables that were devoted to cinema in the Arab world and in Lebanon that were uh, organized by the UNESCO in Beirut. So a lot of people from the region came here to, to, to discuss about these okay. things, So and cinema was on the forefront of that too. Um, Needless to say, that 1975 kind of stopped all these uh, elan, all these. Yeah. The, the, war, the civil war happened. Yes, yes, exactly. The civil war happened. I, I say it as if everyone knows it, but it's. Uh, but, but that's the thing. I mean, I understand the civil war stopped it, but the information was there, and and how does that affect the rest of the Arab world? Because Egypt still has a very strong film, and and I know that they're they're handling their own stuff, but. With, within like the, the Levant and the Gulf and, and the other ones, is there currently any, any interest besides, like, say, one or two people randomly? Well, Why? The thing is that I think what these kinds of tragedies, like the war here or uh, revolutions there, or I don't know what is, what they do is that they destroy the infrastructure. And the thing is, is that, yes, of course, you show film, you make films, someone shows them somewhere, but... To, to distribute, to program, to preserve, to, to conserve, to, to collect, okay. is a whole network, right? Okay. And yeah. you need infrastructures. It means that you need people, you need uh, laws, you need uh, 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 locations. You need. So it's not just someone saying, I want this film not to disappear, so okay. I put it in my basement. You know, this is what a collector would do, yeah. and collectors are an import, very important factor in this uh, di these dynamics. But when you don't have uh, more like bigger institutional infrastructures, you are very quickly in a space where these things are forgotten easily. And a lot of the archives also were destroyed. So the films were destroyed, yeah. but the records about them. So what what the information that we have today is what kind of remains, what uh, someone says happened, some yeah. documents here, but a lot of the films you don't really know when they were registered, when they were, so. And then if we move forward to, to kind of current times, with what you're doing with the database for Cinematheque Beirut, is, is there any interest from the, from the kind of the, the rest of the Arab world into what's going on, or is it too early right now to, to see that? Definitely too early. 
to I'm sure that there will be. There's a, but there's other structures. It's like you know, there's the cinematic uh, Tanger. There's, uh, but even s- things like uh, cinematic in in, um, in Cairo. Even though it doesn't have the same mission, but there is this desire to mm-hmm. show and program things that are being made locally and etc. So there are similar interests, and even in Lebanon, it's a lot of like again, Cinematheque was not the first project. There is an actual national Cinematheque okay. in Lebanon, and this was created in. This was a project that was led by the filmmaker Justine Saab that started in 1995 when she was making um, one of her films, uh, Once Upon a Time in Beirut, uh, and where she went to gather uh, fiction films and documentary films that were shot in Beirut or that were about Beirut internationally. So it's like a huge research, like 400 films, I don't know how many. And while doing that, she managed to restore a few about 15 to 20 films, and she donated them uh, to the Ministry of Culture. And uh, a few years later, they f- they registered, uh, Suraya Baghdadi registered the, this project, which was called the Cinematheque Nationale Libanaise, the National uh, Cinematheque of Lebanon. I don't know exactly. There's a, a way of saying it. I don't know. I would, how they name it exactly, and they registered at the um, at the FIAF, which is the the organ organism for the um, preservation of cinema, it's like some international and um, in 1999, actually, Renta Shahal was uh, it was registered at the Ministry of Culture, and in 1999, 2000, it was Randa that was appointed president of it. And the thing is that this cinematic also had, like, still exists today, uh, has a huge archive that's basically rotting, you know, that's just there sitting. And the idea is that how can projects like Cinematic Beirut reactivate? Okay. That it's not to replace it, it's not okay. to, but really to support collaborate. It. Exactly, to support it, to, to also, in a way, this database, the importance of this database and the importance of it being the first step is that before we start collecting, before we start restoring, we need to know what is there, right? Are we talking about 50 films, 200 films, 3,000 films? Uh, so. so so all this information, all this database is in the, the kind of the official quote-unquote Lebanese Cinematheque that's there. But, and then in Not necessarily, but some of it, yes. Okay. They uh, don't have a particular record. They don't know always what they have. So is, is part of the Cinematheque Beirut uh, kind of work, uh, work thing is to, to go there and dig around for the information and digitize it? I don't know about digitizing it. <laughs> I mean, in the end, it has to go to the database, right? I, I keep, but the dat- it's, what's important to mention is that the, dat- the database is not a VOD. Okay. It's not a, a, a platform where you can watch films. Okay. This is a very important thing. It's really a database in the sense that the same thing as a database of a library. So you have the information, the, all the technical detailed sheets, so like IMDb, really. So technical detail sheets about each film and the extra information that we can provide is where can it be seen. If it can be seen on other platforms and, and uh, online, or if it can be seen somewhere in Lebanon. And then why, why not actually, are you going to be sharing this information on IMDb? And by the way, side note, for the people who are not aware, imdb.com is Internet Movie Database. It's, it's a website that's been on since the, I want to say, mid-90s. And it collects all the information. The, 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 it's, it is weak when it comes to Arabic film, so understand the need for that. But do you guys, will you start putting, loading your information on there as well, or how will that happen? Uh, 
I, I don't know. <laughs> to that regard, I think it's one step at a time. Okay. Uh, for the moment, it's to to like really try to load as much information on our platform and make it at the same time verified because the target audience is not only cinephiles but also uh, uh, researchers, students. Yeah. So it has to be information that is proper. proper you know, it's and that's a, I think the difference with IMDb where. For us, all the information that will come onto our database that will be published, anything that is published, you can know that we have verified it, we have researched it, and we are, like, of course, sometimes there are mistakes. If, if we researched a film and saw that it was made in 81, but the person that made the film or the producer tells us, oh, actually, it wasn't made in 81, it was made in 80, but the 80, 81 because of these technical issues, head up. And then, are you getting are you getting this inform are you getting any information support, or s especially now when later on when you expand from the Lebanese film from the other cinema texts like in Egypt or Tangiers or anything else? That would be definitely a, a head up. And for the moment, even we're collaborating. So the idea is to collaborate with a lot of other institutions and individuals mm. and associations that are doing very similar work here in Lebanon, and that. At the moment, like after the Cinematheque, uh, the, the National Cinematheque started, there was also a lot of, around the same time, in the beginning of the 2000s, a lot of initiatives like um, like UMAM, like Beirut DC, like uh, Fondation Liban Cinema, uh, the NDU um, with Sam Lahoud, Nadi Le Kulunas, uh, Nea Beirut. So really a lot of people, and I'm forgetting some, I'm sure, a lot of people that... Uh, Took it upon themselves yes. to uh, to do work that hasn't that isn't being done. And for example, uh, collectors like Abudi Abu Jaudi that collects film posters uh, and that has a very expanded knowledge about yeah. a lot of the films that were made uh, or screened in Lebanon during the 60s and the 70s. And for example, the NDU uh, with Sam Lahoud uh, have a project to digitize. Uh, a lot of the Lebanese film archive, uh, Umam bought all of, uh, like, re uh, took all of the Studio Balbak archives and are restoring it and digitizing it. So if we can't restore, a lot of other people are working on doing that, and we will, we're working in collaboration with them, uh, with also with universities, so to get the database from the universities, because we want to also include student films uh, uh, to show, like, really the extent of the activity. And hopefully someday, yes, to, to collaborate with regional databases of these exist or... So, so and, and in your database, you have all the information, all, all the links and all the kind of the bios, but you're also putting videos and clips of interviews and other kind of sections to, to keep those as well alive from, from the old archives that you find. But, but then are you guys, or will you guys ever get to the point of releasing... Uh, a DVD or uh, or a movie with extras and things and sometimes if you because I know you don't restore yourself like you've mentioned but you work and you connect with people who want restoration or or representation or even kind of for all the retrospective so would you um, for, so example your first show was the Randa Shahal uh, retrospective with nine films but then now that it's there would you uh, work with somebody to release a, a DVD collection and then have an info or is this completely not uh, not f n too far away from Cinematheque mm, Beirut definitely and if even if it's not us that do it again it's for example now I know that Noor Sabah Randa's daughter is working with Nadi Kulunas um, uh, Najra Ash are two uh, release uh, DVDs 
of these films that are not available. So th there's like a chain, I think, and a kind of network that will start to get ahead. If, for example, Cinematheque Beirut would program certain films like the Randa Shahal, this is an excuse for Noor to go and digitize them and do subtitles. So, so these films, technically, they are ready to made to make to be made into DVDs, so it's like it's like a whole circuit, you know. So instead of doing things separately, you kind of like utilize all the different haida. It's like okay, so for the retrospective, you have to prepare this, that, that. You have to locate the films. This will help to fill in the technical sheets, and this will help to make the DVDs, and this will help. So it's it's interesting how kind of we go back to the kind of the the Lebanese or the Arab Habibi Habibi way of doing things, where because there isn't enough funding to do everything else and separately and or in an organized way, you guys do as much as you can and support and try to kind of uh, link link to each and every. Which is which is I have to say is is, is when you have limitations on things is the only way forward. Which actually leads us to Norway. Why did Norway give you money for of all the countries in the world? Why was it the Norwegian embassy that helped support Cinematheque Beirut? I mean, I'm happy because any Cinematheque of any kind in the region is always good to have. Yay, Norway. But why them? Yeah, it, it might sound a bit weird at first, but um, they have a, a policy regarding uh, supporting cultural initiatives uh, in the countries where they exist as, a, as an active embassy. And um, uh, we've always wanted to collaborate together, uh, and we, we did this. Uh, we did a Norwegian film cycle in September 2017. It was one of the most really, uh, the loveliest uh, film cycles to organize, to be honest, because, uh, you know, the collaboration was really, really smooth, really uh, all of the films, uh, they're available via the, uh, the Norwegian uh, National Film Center, and because the productions are, let's say, not, uh, it's not extreme, uh, the number of films uh, produced in Norway are, are not huge, but the quality is really impressive. Yes. So the program we did, I was, it was one of my favorite programs ever. I've been working here since uh, like four or five years. It was one of my favorite cycles. Uh, from A to Z, I, I have never uh, really enjoyed working on a cycle such as, uh, I mean, this experience. And at the same time, uh, we were notified that there's this call open where you can submit your project and it could get accepted. So um, here we had a, a colleague uh, uh, who's no longer in Beirut, uh, Caroline Guagou, who, um, who worked on uh, the, you know, the, the, the proposal. Uh, which I guess impressed, uh, <laughs> impressed, and uh, you know uh, was uh, was selected, and uh, we got the funding from the Norwegian embassy for this first phase of Cinematech, and um, we can't but thank them enough uh, to support you know this really much needed uh, initiative, and uh, we're really happy with this partnership because everyone is happy with uh, the feedback and the reception, and so we're really thankful for them and. To go back to your question, it's it's uh, it's about it's like yeah, regional, local funding versus external, and I guess this is also a thing that you see here in like on all levels, not just on projects, and like you see that most of uh, like Nisreen was saying, most of the metropolis projects are funded by either through international partnerships, either through embassies. So this is kind of a reality, and and for a lot of. Um, 
like in Lebanon you don't like I'm not saying may, maybe for some people what I'm saying is obvious but for others no so but like there isn't any like governmental structures that are giving that are funding that there's no cinema programs there's no so you kind of have to go look elsewhere the the Gulf was there at some point uh, now a lot of it is, is, is crumbling uh, Hind and I have been, been in around and doing all the film festivals and Abu Dhabi closed and then the, uh, then the Gulf Film Festival closed and I think the Dubai one is, is, is just closed right now uh, but then also the funding that they used to Sanad and, and the one in, the, in the Qatar, um, I think Qatar is still there but uh, less so um, and I don't know what's happening in Saudi but yes the, the money has dried out Sorry. Sharjah is the most active right now. Like oh, we love Sharjah. Sharjah's always been, <laughs> it's been one of our favorites, and and I can see and I can see how it is supportive. You know, maybe we don't have a lot of stuff to say regarding the, the Gulf and all that, but you know, you always see these these shifts of how like before um, before the Gulf got active around 2007, six, I guess, and around that time there was Afaq. And Afalk, for example, is, is a very important collaborator with Metropolis, and uh, they support a lot, a lot of our projects. Uh. And uh, Afalk, for again, for people who are not, it's not, not aware, it's a... Uh, the, Arab, the Arab Fund for uh, Arts and Culture. So they're really an entity that uh, funds uh, specific projects. Uh, they, I think, a bit all over, but Beirut. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're based in Beirut. And uh, they have a lot of programs uh, regarding... Uh, the calls for uh, writers, musicians, uh, artists, uh, filmmakers, uh, but also associations, pro specific projects. So having Afak has been really a, a very big help. There's stuff like the Screen Institute Beirut or... But really, so that shift that happened at some point around 2006-2007 with... Um, or with the coming of the Gulf and all the funders from there kind of shifted some of the some of the funding from Europe to the Gulf, you know, so how people were funding their films and all of that. And, and I feel that now with that kind of calming down, I don't know if there's going to be a re redirection or... Uh, but definitely Europe has been one of the biggest... Uh, if it was in producing films, in, in, but also in supporting projects, and especially a project like Cinematic Beirut, where... That takes a lot of uh, funding, you know. It's like um, it's it's not we're not talking about funding a documentary film, which can be also huge, you know. But like you can make a documentary film with four thousand dollars, you know, five thousand dollars if you're a really small crew and just to produce it, let's say. Uh, but here we're not talking about that kind of amount, you know. You're trying to to start uh, some kind of structure and, and infrastructure, as we were saying, and so. Sadly, this requires. Sadly, but also happily, I guess <laughs> this requires the uh, uh, introduction of, of different partnerships. I guess. And of course, you're between all the funds and all the fairs and all of the all of the kind of the work and retrospectives you guys publish in in Metropolis. Uh, let it be known for for everyone who's listening who's not Lebanese or even the ones who are Lebanese and not aware of it. You do also have your weekly two different screens with, with art house movies and, and I've been there a couple of times and that's a normal, you pay, you enter. Is there a lot of kind of people and going to, to those movies as well? Do, do you get packed houses? This is what I, my impression, people are starting to get really like uh, kind of fed up with this um, mall in a cinema, <laughs> cineplex culture. Uh, even the young people, uh, I, know, uh, I know from like a release 
there was this uh, Lebanese film released. It was uh, in Metropolis and other uh, venues uh, around. And at one night we had we had festivals running, so they were really disappointed that they will we will not be able to watch the film just this night at Metropolis, and they don't want to go to the mall to watch it. Instead, even though uh, Lebanese films, uh, especially independent ones, when they get out in malls, we have to go watch them over there so they can keep them for at least a few more days. <laughs> yeah. so, so basically you have to go support the film in December to show people, no, people like watching Arabic films, calm down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, when you don't hide the poster you know, in the mall and the display, it, it helps people know there's this Lebanese film running. And, and this is something we were always going to disappointed because whether it's Arabic film or foreign film, all these independent ones, you have everyone screaming about this big Hollywood film or this big Bollywood film, and then they put this poster in the back of the toilet behind the bin somewhere, and it's the film is on for two days, and they remove it. Why did you remove it? Nobody came. Nobody knew. No, wait. They put it at 3 p.m., 4 p.m., maybe 6 p.m., and it's like rated 18, let's say. Okay, what about the 8 p.m. and 10 p.m.? I mean, you can't say it didn't get an audience when it's not at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, yeah, we were talking about the... Uh, what, we're talking about the audiences uh, that you guys get in Metropolis. Uh, is it full? Is it old? Is yeah. it young? Okay, first, it, it kind of depends about which film, because sometimes we don't have uh, any uh, big festival running, uh, and we don't have a film released by MC that... Uh, we know that its audience is mainly at Metropolis. Uh, MC is our sister company. It's MC Distribution, which uh, acquires uh, uh, film rights uh, uh, for um, Lebanese and Arab titles and also international but really carefully selected mm -hmm. titles. And uh, they distribute them um, whether uh, you know, released uh, mainly in Lebanon, they do releases, and they also f do all the festivals. Uh, co they manage uh, the festival screenings for these films uh, in the Arab world and uh, even North Africa. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so sometimes when uh, we don't have an event running or a film by uh, our sister company that we support, uh, we, uh, we select some films that are anyway getting released. Uh, but no, but the ones that you guys show don't necessarily get released on the other cinemas. Yeah, that's right. Like, uh, I will tell you an example. Uh, so, um, on the opening weekend, uh, sometimes I noticed the numbers uh, are not exactly, I mean, what you expect. Uh, but uh, some films, the ones we pick, don't get to have, uh, you know, a, a longer life in the malls. So, when they are uh, out from the other cinemas... Uh, Everybody wants to watch them because they didn't really have the time, yeah. so they come and watch them at Metropolis. So that's one of the uh, advantages of uh, yeah, because we also uh, we work because we distribute uh, you know independent films. We know how difficult it is to have people moving to watch them, yeah. so we give them more time. You have to give a movie at least three weeks, yeah. at least. Uh, yeah, so sometimes when I get. Uh, uh, on a Thursday, uh, films here in Lebanon open on Thursdays. So when a film gets a, a ridiculous number, like 35 spectators, for me, that movie is going to work, <laughs> really. Uh, so, uh, yeah, for example, yeah, there are movies, uh, there are distributors who have important titles, but um, sometimes they have also the big uh, Hollywood blockbusters that will get them more entries. Mm -hmm. So they forget about the smaller films, 
even though they have the material, they have the subtitles ready because in Lebanon you can't release a movie without Arabic subtitles and without the censorship permit. So they have everything ready. Then at the last minute they decide, let's forget about the release. Uh, and this is really sad. Oh, that is sad. That's very sad. Like, for example, uh, The Breadwinner, the... Um, uh, the animation film uh, we we screened it uh, it had its Lebanese premiere at our youth film festival even though it's not particularly oriented just for the youth audience there's a huge animation community here in Lebanon uh, and also because you know it was produced by Angelina Jolie so everybody wants to you know well, see this uh, and also because the Song of the Sea was released here and it got a lot of I mean an important uh, attendance so, uh, for example, The Breadwinner, uh, we premiered it once. There were plans to release it, but then they were, I don't know why, shut, shut off, especially after the Oscars. When there's an Oscars buzz, you know, with the nominations, all the films get released for one week, like, yes. and you have no time to watch everything. And I think the film suffered from this. Uh, it was nominated, it didn't win. So the release was scheduled, rescheduled, and then it dropped at the end. But what we really liked and we really appreciate this from the distributor, they called us uh, not so long ago and they're like, would you, would you have space to release our movie? And uh, now it's, uh, yeah, it's released in Lebanon. Uh, it was released in two theaters and now it's continuing at Metropolis. And uh, uh, it's gonna, I think it's gonna you know, stay for like a few more weeks because you, know, you need to give time to people to know that this film is out there and you know, to watch it. Uh, that's, that's, that's brilliant, and uh, thank you for all the effort you guys have put in. But what I do want to talk about is censorship. And I know for us in, in the Emirates, because it's it's a lot more conservative, I guess, in that sense, a lot of the movies are censored, and people are starting to get bothered, especially when you go on and you figure out that 45 minutes are cut or 20 minutes are cut. And sometimes, depending on the mood of the person who's in charge, one year you have a kiss that's cut, and then one year you have a swear word that's cut. You're like, I don't understand. I think I saw half a boob. So how does it happen in Lebanon? I remember in Lebanon earlier, like a few years, 20 years ago, it wasn't as... As, as kind of as, as strict as it was like four or five years ago when they started really cutting a lot of the level of, of the Gulf. Mm-hmm. So how does it happen now, but then also how does it happen with festivals? And because I know a lot of times with, with independent films or festivals, they might not look at it because they think three people are going to watch and somebody's mother. Hello, uh, yeah, and also like uh, a year, a film can pass in full. Uh, and then uh, in two years, you show a documentary showing the same scenes that passed. And this time, no, you can't. Uh, you can't screen those. Uh, and also, but um, sometimes I think that the distributor is the same, uh, you know, because it costs to make DCPs. So I think they make the same cut here and for the Gulf, no? Or they make I, I've been noticing that because one of the films I saw, I'm like, why would they cut this in Lebanon? It's just a kiss. But then I realized because at the time it was only showing in Vox, and I wrote Vox is an, Emir- is an Emirati one, and that's. They make one tape well, to... to it costs to, you yes. know, post-production-wise. It costs a lot to make DCPs. Uh. I remember the, there was a huge article a few years ago, a few months ago, about Turkey when they, there was a film edit and Sony edited the way they want, they, what, that's what they thought Turkish want, and they were upset because I'm like, uh, no, we, we don't have censorship like that. Funny adventures with censorship that you guys had to do? What happens is that, uh, of course, we have to get a screening permit for everything we screen, everything, like even a trailer of 30 seconds. We have to get a screening permit. Um, And it's a procedure we've become used to do because you have to do it or else you can't show uh, your movies. Um, If I remember, yeah, like a few years, uh, I remember we 
There was a movie which, uh, there was a documentary about a movie we screened. It's Holy Motors. We, we showed it in full, and then a few years later, we showed a documentary about Leos Carax, and there was this scene, you know, in the tunnel, and uh, <laughs> we were requested to cut the scene. And at the same, uh, no, at an event, also like a few days later, there was a film by Godard, uh, I forgot the name right now, where there's a, yeah, there's a scene we were, re they, we were requested to cut, and uh, it was a 35 millimeter copy, and we can't, I mean, we can't just cut <laughs> films like that, it's, you know, archives, you can't touch those. So we figured out, a, let's say, a solution with them, that, okay, we will do the cut, they, we will do the cut, but um, we can't do anything about, we can't touch the material. You can't touch a 35 millimeter, you can't touch a DCP, you know, it's in the server, you can't edit it. Uh, we're going to put a paper <laughs> on the lens at the scene you have requested. And we did it. And then it was very comic for the audience. Did someone come to verify we, that you blocked it? We don't know. Uh, but what happened is that we told the people, uh, we, told, we announced at the beginning that uh, we are sorry. We, we are really sorry for this, but it's our only way to be able to show you the movie tonight. So at uh, some point, you might find something you know, funny on the screen. Was it a human body part? In, in the Godard movie, yes. Uh, yeah, also in Carlos, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> something funny because once I was, uh, I read on Twitter, I think uh, it was, uh, yeah, uh, it was Films Boutique. I love this. They have a very, they have an amazing account, a community manager. I love them. I also love them as a distributor. I love working yeah. with them. They're really, uh, you know, passionate about films, and they want you to have your, their films with really uh, feasible conditions. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they uh, they once wrote a tweet uh, about uh, censorship in uh, I forgot maybe in Philippines they were saying uh, no censorship in uh, modern times and no you know about you know put, having to put uh, a piece of paper in front of the lens uh, oh. of the projector it it was really funny uh, and it doesn't happen only in Lebanon I discovered okay. yeah. No, I know. One of the one of the ones that was really bizarre for us about the changing of, of the mood. It was an Egyptian film. I can't remember the name right now. We had seen it in Dubai Film Festival. Then it came out for a week in one of the small uh, one of the cinemas in, in the Emirates. But then a year later, for one of the festivals that they wanted to show the film, the film was banned again. So we're like, uh, what? <laughs> it was shown in basic cinema for all the shab to see, and now it's it's rebanned because I guess some guy woke up and it's a different person in charge of it, and it's just a bit bizarre. So I understand. Yeah, and here um, uh, we have. Um, there's always an exception because uh, we r we show those films once; they're not commercially released. So the festival it's just a one-time screening, so, and this theater fits uh, like 300 people. So. The 300 people are going to see it, and that's it. Yeah, so they give you a get out of jail free card for those. I guess so. And then what do they do with the? There used to be all these kind of porn cinemas in Lebanon, and I think one or two are still there. How does that happen with the censorship? That's a whole other issue. Like, I know, I, I've only heard stories, and, and maybe a lot of these stories are not even true, but I find them quite hilarious. Where uh, I think, uh, I don't remember who, who was telling me that story. Um, I think it was Muhammad Swed, but I might be really wrong about how, um, because the censorship officer would come in either the first five minutes, ten minutes of the film, or the last five, ten minutes of the film. Okay. So what they would do is that they would start a film 
like, let's say, start a film with the beginning of an action film and end it with the end of an action film, but the middle would be a porn film. <laughs> it could be funny about the, the action movies finding it here. Maybe we have to do a, a hunt for the porn cinemas in Lebanon, make that our next episode. What do you think, Hind? I think even, even in Quebec there was that same thing of, like, editing the film in a way where a pers- an officer coming in would think it's just a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's kind of wrap up everything. Thank you a lot for, for all the information you guys were telling us, and especially the history stuff that I had no idea, and, and, and the funny, quirky situation you guys get in. I'm sure you're going to get in a lot more of them. Um, so to wrap it up, you guys had, uh, for Cinematech, the first retrospective was Randa Shahal, who had mentioned. Um, why did you decide it was, it was to start with her, and what are the upcoming projects for both uh, Metropolis and its Cinematech uh, initiative? So I think it was important to start with the Randa Shahal Sabah uh, retrospective for many reasons. Um, and it kind of happened naturally. It was an organic transition. One thing is that this uh, 2018 is the 10-year anniversary of her death. Um, and uh, the other thing is that this retrospective has been in the works for about eight years or something. And her, her, um, her daughter and her sister, so Noor Sabah and Nahla Shahal, have been working on it for a while. Uh, so it was kind of about time uh, for this to happen. And um, also because it kind of makes sense in the way that Randa was also um, the president of the National Cinematheque. So she was someone that really, uh, during her lifetime, was really active about uh, preserving films, uh, showing them, uh, from, like, especially films in, from Lebanese heritage. So it was kind of also an homage to her, uh, to that activity that she did to uh, do this retrospective at the launch of this project. So that link was very important to highlight. Uh, and uh, Because there are these filmmakers also that, oh, other than just making their films, are extremely uh, invested and engaged in showing other people's films, producing them, and, and creating dynamics where infrastructures are missing. So. No, it was definitely brilliant because for me, as someone who works in film and studied film and, and is a is a film fan, I wasn't aware of Randa Shahal, and and, and then I, and then also her, her levels of movies were quite, was was quite well done, but then and this was the only way for me to be aware of it and to be aware of how how like strong her 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 influence as well as her collection is. Yeah. So it's, it's it's really good that we were able to do it via you guys. So what's next? Uh, I think that for a cinematic, it's uh, to do uh, more retrospectives of uh, important filmmakers. Uh, there's uh, many in the works. Uh, we're discussing a few right now, but the interest is in people like Justine Saab or Burhan Alawiye or uh, Jean-Charles Ramon or etc. So, uh, anything going to happen before you launch the database in September? I think not before September, no. Uh, right now we're really, uh, so the next step is, is to really launch that database and, and see where, how people interact with it, how the interest is and all of that. And uh, yeah, all of this is, is very exciting because like, getting to see uh, Renda's films on big screen, there's so many images that you haven't seen before. And so we're really looking forward to uh, seeing also, not just showing, because we want to see them too. Uh, a lot of things, if we've seen them, are like on either once a long time ago, not for my case, but for example, Hanya's case or uh, other people, or seen on DVD or never seen before. Yeah, so. It's definitely a huge difference when you see movies on in the cinema versus a DVD or a pop-up or some kind of uh, room right. <laughs> viewing. It's also like very touching to be with people watching these films yes. for the first time. So you're not alone in your room watching it on your laptop. 
but you can also talk about it later and be like, ah, did you see that image of Beirut in, in 1976? Yeah, and laugh together and yeah. freak out together. So in, in terms of Metropolis, what's, what's coming up for you guys? You're always busy, but what's going on now? Busy. Now we're going to have a, a little summer break, a well-deserved one. Uh, in September, um, we're starting with the, the Embassy of Brazil is organizing the Brazilian Film Festival uh, at the very first week of September. And then from the 13th to the 23rd, we have the German Film Week, fifth edition, uh, in partnership with Goethe Institute. Uh, I'm so excited about the program. I'm going to give you two scoops. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to have a Hana Shigula uh, kind of homage. Uh, every time we, we screen contemporary German films, and we have a small uh, section, not retrospective, because it's not many yes. films. So we did Fassbinder, uh, we did uh, Vendors, and uh, this year we're doing Hana Shigula. Uh, I'm so excited about this part, uh, because um, uh, it's a, like an occasion to screen films that you dream of screen, screening and watching on a big screen, but you have to always find the occasion and the funding. So with Hana Shigula present in those films, it's the perfect you know, like excuse to uh, screen them. So uh, I'm so happy and excited because we're going to screen Faust uh, by Sokurov in a, a DCP uh, copy. <laughs> I'm so excited about the screening. And we have a Fassbinder title also, uh, Restored, with Hana Shigula, uh, but it's not uh, the Maria Brown uh, movie because we screened it already. Okay. And we have a third title. It's not confirmed yet, but if it gets confirmed, really, like, I think people are going to be really excited for this. I will tell you off, off the air about this movie. Uh, and, and all your information can be found on metropolis.com. Uh, it's going to be uh, metropoliscinema.net. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, the program will be out uh, by end of August. Though so the film week happens in parallel with Talents Beirut, it's also the, the fifth edition. And uh, so we're preparing also for that where uh, 17, 18 participants will be. Uh, watching films, but also taking part in master classes and workshops. And, and this is part of Metropolis as well? Yes. Yes. So it, it's, it's Talents, what do you call it? Explain talent, uh, talents Beirut. It's a branch of Berlinale Talents, and okay. it's a kind of uh, professional uh, workshops that are given uh, to young professionals from the region. So we have people coming in from uh, Egypt, from Sudan, oh, from awesome. uh, Tunisia, from Syria, Jordan. And, and can normal people just uh, look, find the information online yeah, and attend? Find the information. There are, of course, uh, 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 the, the, the workshops and the master classes are like, close to the participants because it has to be really there's hand hands-on workshops so okay. they're really uh, tight uh, like closed uh, there's an open call uh, generally that starts in March and that closes in May every year and so peop- any uh, professional in the filmmaking that is residing uh, in the Arab world can apply to it and uh, yeah so there are also uh, screenings that happen uh, in the German film week are attended by both the participants and are open to the public yeah, uh, there might be one or two master classes open to the public. Mm-hmm. Like we had Joshua Oppenheimer a few years ago, Laurent Cante. Um, we've had important DOPs, um, you know, who have worked on very, very important films. And this year, uh, also, like uh, we have to keep up uh, with the, the previous edition. Mm-hmm. So we're excited uh, to uh, yeah. reveal the program like later in August. Uh, and all this information can be found on metropoliscinema.net. Yeah. All right. So for everyone listening, thank you so much. 
for for being with us and uh, uh, thank you guys for for giving us a, a lot of information but yeah it's, uh, it's it's a wonderful time thank you so much for this invitation it was a pleasure and please stay tuned for uh, all the videos and interviews that we're releasing regularly and for the relaunch of the database with uh, the all the information on it in September, hopefully. And this is cinematechbeirut.com. Yes. C-I-N-E-M-A-T-H-E-Q-U-E, Beirut, B-E-I-R-U-T. So it's a combination of French and Cinematech and Beirut written in English, dot com. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you, Wael. This was really fun. Um, yeah, and you can all stay uh, updated on all our events uh, at uh, Metropolis Cinema on Facebook and um, uh, Instagram and Metropolis LB on uh, Twitter. And I'll put all the information, of course, usually in our links on our Twitter and, and Instagram. And thank you very much for being here. And for everyone listening, again, thank you for, for, for sharing this with us. Uh, remember, we'd always love to hear your comments. And, and, and please do listen and like us and let us know. And you can find us and download for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And goodbye. <laughs>